1: Welcome back to 4 to 6 b your high State podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined, as I always am, by my best friend in the whole wide world, Ari Wasserman. Ari, how you doing?
2: You didn't say best friend in the whole wide world uh, in the last show that we recorded last week, and somebody on Twitter asked if there was trouble in paradise. And I thought <laughs> that was funny. <laughs>
1: uh, no, no, I just like to mix it up.
2: I think the reason why you didn't say that last week is because before we did the podcast i facetimed you for an hour about something not related to work and he had already had enough of me
1: that might be the case we were on facetime for quite a bit <laughs> before we recorded that podcast uh, uh
2: you know what we're good guys we we have some
1: good days we have some bad days uh, that's right like any relationship this is, yeah this is a this is a brotherhood that's right that's right if we do it for the brotherhood that's what this podcast is about so we do it uh, we do it for the name on the front of the on the front of the jersey What is the
2: name on the front of the jersey? Pizza? Yeah. (laughs) Massey's. (laughs) Okay, so today we're doing defense because we thought we were going to do the whole team in one podcast, and then we started talking about chicken wings for 38 minutes, and then we we missed it. So this is the more fascinating side of the ball, I would say.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I didn't want to... Trying to squeeze it into the last 15 minutes of the last episode, I don't think would have done this side of the ball justice because it is the more... It's the more interesting side of the ball, even though it is the side of the ball that most people feel much worse about uh, going in.
2: Should we have just said on practice. the offense,
1: the offense is going to be good
2: and then just gone straight to defense?
1: I think we could have, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, enjoy, I still enjoy talking about the offense and how good they're going to be. Um, just as I'll enjoy talking about the defense and all the questions we have about it and like what the ceiling is and stuff like that. So
2: I guess people probably did need the hour-long podcast of positivity. Before we got into the podcast, we're just like, "What the hell are they going to do this year?"
1: Yeah, it's not not and not that I think that this will be like a ne- like negative. It's just like uh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. So, um, way more so than there is on the offensive side. Um, so we're go position by position, like we did with the offensive one. Um, it could be a question we have about the position, a guy we're excited to to kind of watch in the spring at the position, or just like a general thought. Doesn't matter. I'm sure we'll offer um, a couple different uh things in, in that regard for each position so um what do you say we start with defensive tackle How does that sound to you
2: yeah we'll break up defensive
1: line by tackle and end yeah tackle and linebacker safety cornerback i didn't break out like leo as a separate thing because i don't i don't think we know yet who's gonna play there um and we can like maybe talk about that in the course of talking about different positions but i didn't i didn't make that a separate position here okay this sounds good all right defensive tackle what's on your mind oh god <laughs> this is gonna be a long show but <laughs> I, don't, I
2: don't know i have like i have one
1: like prevailing question of defensive tackle okay and, why don't you go and ahead it is man. like what like what the hell happened to Tyler williams last year why why was he rocking shit for like three four games and then, and just, then just like didn't play like he played but he didn't his playing time didn't ratchet up i don't know that he flashed in the same way and granted like those it was against like akron and ruckers and tulsa so like those aren't very good teams um but I remember watching those games thinking, like, okay, here we go. This kid's about to take off, and, like, it didn't happen. And he didn't really seem to get rewarded for playing well in those games. Um, and I don't think we talked to Larry Johnson, like, after that happened or throughout the course of the, or the rest of the season to, like, get an answer on what was going on with him. So I just found that a little bit uh, mysterious. I don't know if that's the right word. A little odd, maybe, that, that Tyley Williams was going yeah. to like, take off the way I thought he would.
2: I think it's good, though, uh, to see flashes early, even if it doesn't manifest in the same year from somebody that age. Uh, You know, because to me, that gives me a, you know, he's probably listed as a backup on your depth chart, but, like, he could play himself into the rotation this year as a Mm -hmm. quasi-starter. And there are, you know, a few names on there, too, that I think could potentially be in that mix. So um, I'm excited about him. My question is... Is it too late? I think the obvious thing is, um, is it too late for Teron Vincent to be Teron Vincent? Like, is he in that same Zach Harrison stage where it's just kind of like, it's you're a five-star prospect, everybody thought you were going to turn into Reggie White, you haven't, and it's a time to accept that you're just going to be pretty good and not great? Or do you think that there's a chance that he could have that, like, Because we've seen it with some defensive tackles who came Mm -hmm. in, and obviously the the routes to senior year awesomeness were a little bit different for a guy like, uh, you know, Hamilton, who came in and developed for a few years and then all of a sudden became a draft pick. Like Teron Vincent's been injured. uh, Seems very regularly, and maybe that's been part of the problem. But, like, I just – it's like if you look at the names that are on this defensive line – if you would have said when these guys sign that Zach Harrison's going to be a starting defensive end, Teron Vincent's going to be a starting defensive tackle, JT to him going to be a defensive end, and like Jack Sawyer's going to be a backup, you'd be like, holy shit, this could be one of the best defensive lines in America. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just like for all the props that we give Larry Johnson, deservedly so for being one of the best evaluators and developers at the position, it seems to me, and I don't know if I'm talking out of turn here, you could put me in my place, but the defensive line has had more misses. From top level five star prospects in any other position on the team.
1: Um, I'm trying to, think. but I don't know if
2: you count Teron Vincent as a miss. Is he just injured and it didn't pan out, or is he a miss?
1: I mean, the five star defensive linemen that they've had are Nick Bosa, who I was mean, a hit. Nick
2: Bosa, Chase Young. Yeah,
1: Nick Bosa was a hit and got hurt. Chase Young was absolutely a hit. Um, Teron Vincent has not been. Um, Zach Harrison I th- has has not been to the level you would expect.
2: And being a hit at five-star doesn't mean you're pretty good. Like Being a hit is like you're, you turn into
1: being a, a first-round draft pick, in my opinion. I'm trying to think if they've had any more. That might be the only four that they've had. Joey Bosa wasn't yeah. a five-star, and Larry Johnson didn't recruit him, but he played like one. Um, maybe I'm forgetting why. He- it would be
2: interesting to go back, because we're in the middle of a podcast. It would be terrible to go add it up now, but it would be interesting if you took away the five-star distinction and made a top-hundred distinction.
1: Yeah, because then you get, like, Haskell Garrett. Haskell Garrett was good. Yeah, was not
2: turned out to be was, better at the end. Than, but Haskell Garrett might be the perfect example of not really doing much, not really doing much, and then all of a sudden he's one of the most important players on the team. It's like, can Teron Vincent even do that?
1: I, I think it's a fair question. I will say the the Rose Bowl was probably the best game that Teron Vincent has played in his career. So if he can, like, bottle that and make that a springboard, then then he can take a step forward. I don't, I don't know if he's going to become all of a sudden, like, an all American or even like a first team all Big Ten caliber defensive tackle. I think if he if he had that in him, we would have seen it already, even though he has been injured. Like the, the times he's been out there, he's just not flashing a consistent way that would lead you to believe that. So that's why like with this position it's like he's back and Jeron Cage is back. And like they're older veteran guys who have had moments where I think they've played well but I don't know, I kinda wanna see like Tyler Williams and Mike Hall <laughs> and Ty Hamilton. It's like I don't Yeah. And yeah. I feel like that's a theme with this defense. It's like, oh yeah, like it's good. They have veteran guys who are back who've played a lot. Can I see the young guys? <laughs> can I can I watch the guys? It's who because played a you lot? wanna know why?
2: It's because the old guys that used to be the young guys who had all the excitement, we know what they are now. Yeah. And there's always more intrigue with people who who have the potential or the the still the thought that in the future they're gonna be Joey Bosa. Mm-hmm. Or or Cameron Hayward like I don't know like it's Ohio State's had very very good defensive linemen in the middle for a long time and forgive me if I'm forgetting somebody but if they just had a game record in the center there a defensive tackle to the point of just like this guy is changing changing games like Ohio State's always had very very good defensive ends Uh, elite level defensive ends that were first round draft picks and now one of the best players in the NFL I mean three people who are in that but like, who was the last Joey Bosa that Ohio State had at defensive tackle? And if I'm forgetting somebody completely obvious, then just Hankin, slap me in the Hankins? face. Jonathan Hankins, maybe. But even Hankins wasn't. I mean, he was great, but he wasn't Bosa. You know what I mean? It's like was like Cameron Hayward the last time they had a, an interior defensive lineman that played like that?
1: Probably. Th- I, I always I didn't cover him, so I always get a little confused. Like, did he play inside at Ohio State, or did he play end, or did he play both?
2: And inside, okay, both, but inside. Yeah, so, like, and, like, I don't, the thing is, is, like, it's hard to compare a defensive tackle to a defensive end because when a defensive end is playing its best, his best, that's a complete uh, noticeable thing on TV Mm -hmm. because they're always in the backfield chasing the quarterback around, making big sacks. Like, when a defensive tackle is just eating up the middle of the defense, it's harder to notice. So, you know, maybe that's kind of selling some of Ohio State's guys short, but it just, like, If you watch Georgia last year, I feel like the interior defensive linemen in these national championship winning teams are just dogs, and I don't know that Ohio State has a dog in
1: inside this year. Well, it's been it's been a struggle, and I and I think I don't know why this is the case, but it's like geography more than anything. Like those big, like Jordan Davises don't exist <laughs> in, in Ohio State's like natural recruiting footprint. Um, and also too, they play with a four down front. They don't use a traditional like two gapping nose tackle, so you're going to have some different body types because of that too. But but that's what makes like Williams so intriguing to me. It's like they've not they've not brought in many 330 pound like squatty defensive tackles, but guys who like that size who can really move. And and Williams, I, I think, is that. I just don't know. Like, are they going to make them drop 30 pounds and be a 290 pound? Three tech, or are they going to let him play at that size and like be a little bit of a freak um, and be the kind of guy we're talking about?
2: See, here's the thing: I don't get like, does Georgia get like does Kirby Smart annex the "I'm a genius" evaluator uh, role for what he did with or, or reputation for what he did with Jordan Davis? It's like I don't remember Jordan Davis as a as a recruit, but he was out of North Carolina, right? And I know that he was a three-star prospect. I don't know where he was ranked. I know for sure he was a three-star prospect. He was number 424
1: overall, uh, and he was from Charlotte, North Carolina.
2: Okay, so he's a fringe four-star prospect. But to me, when you say a 330-pound defensive tackle who can move really well, those guys are usually five-star prospects. So it's like I don't know how somebody who moves like Jordan Davis was misevaluated because there aren't very many people that size that can move as well as he does, and I don't know how a defensive line coach can evaluate that because usually, when somebody's that size, they just are 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 aliens who are t- in the top fifty, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like I don't know. Like when you say out of their footprint, could Ohio State have gone into North Carolina and landed this kid? Absolutely. Yeah, Larry does well but in like, North Carolina. Like I don't know I don't know what he was like as a recruit and I don't know why he was so under recruited. So, you know, to me it's like that part of that evaluation piece is just like if Ohio State was like, We need to go find a three hundred and thirty pound defensive tackle who can move and rush well. I mean, and it's like not like Jordan Davis doesn't get tired. Like the first Alabama game, the guy was, you know, surrender cobering in the middle of the fourth quarter when they were getting their ass kicked. Like, I mean, they're 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 not gonna get uh They're going to get tired, and you know, depending on the route you want to take with your defense, you know, it might not be applicable. But like to me, that's like they haven't had a single Jordan Davis in the ten years I covered the team.
1: No, all the all their key difference makers like that have been at end. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it's like Ohio State with Larry Johnson should be able to stack both. And I've just have always wondered why they've always had solid or above average uh, defensive tackles, but never had the stud defensive tackle inside. It's like, is that what Mike Hall is supposed to be?
1: I think he has an upside. Like he was a, I think two four seven had him as a five star prospect, like in their own individual rankings, in the composite he was like top fifty. Um, I like him a lot. He's not he's not built with the kind of guys we're talking about. He's he's like he's pretty like rocked he's up 290, like two yeah, ninety, right? But he's like yeah. a very solid two ninety, um, like interior pass rushing specialist. I think. But I think he's the kind of guy. I think he has that that, that little bit of upside we're talking about. Um, and even him, like even his ranking, if you went back and, and stacked them all up, is probably a little bit of an outlier among the defensive tackles they have recruited. Like off the top of my head, I want to
2: yeah probably one of the top three. I want to say yeah rankings. He might
1: be he yeah. might be like th- second behind Teron Vincent.
2: Yeah, he was fifty three overall, thirty seven uh, in two four sevens individual.
1: Yeah, so he's a he's a really good player who like kind of flew under the radar for too long in his recruitment. And you
2: went up and saw him, right? Because he uh-huh. was under the radar, and then all of a sudden you woke up one day and it was like, "This guy's a top top hundred player." It was like, "Whoa!" I thought he was like an undervalued three star that Ohio State evaluated, right?
1: Yeah, they they actually did a pretty good job with him because they offered him, and then he like shot you know kind of through the roof. And and from what I've seen, it was it was valid. It wasn't like he got a bump because he got offered by Ohio State. Like he he seems like a legitimate dude, and like other people that I've talked to who weren't, who aren't around Ohio state, you know, thought the same about him. It was, it was just for whatever reason, he didn't get enough eyeballs on him. And I think it was maybe because it was like during 2022 when it was hard to get eyeballs on people. But, um, I think he has a potential to be special. I think, I think the two biggest upside players in the room are Tyler Williams and Mike Hall. It's just a matter of like how, how many snaps are those guys going to get when Jeron Cage and Teron Vincent are also there. And like Ty Hamilton is vying for snaps as well. Um, Hiro Kanu will be here in the summer, so he's not a factor in the spring. Um, And I also wonder, like, if Tyler Friday might move the tackle. I remember before Tyler Friday got hurt and missed all of last season, there was some discussion about whether or not he could possibly move the three technique. Um, And now that he is back and presumably healthy enough to participate in spring practice, I'm going to – when we get out on the field on Tuesday to watch the beginning of practice, I'm going to – he's one of the guys I'm going to try to find first to make sure he's still at defensive end and not at tackle. Yeah. Yep. All right, shall we move the defensive end? Sure. It's pretty... Uh, I think you and I probably have the same <laughs> prevailing thought here. But
2: I'm going to phrase it more harshly than you. Okay. Hit me with it. Well, maybe... I don't know uh, what your prevailing thought is, but do you think there will be a point in time when Jack Sawyer starts over Zach Harrison this year? Oh. Or does it not matter because there's a rotation?
1: I guess that's like a rewording of, of what I think. But yeah, no, it's it's yeah. it's... It's what are what are JT Tulimolo and Jackson are going to what kind of leap are they going to make in year two and and who yeah. does that impact? Um,
2: who does that impact the entire defense and Ohio State's
1: national championship hopes? Like one of those guys has to be a dude, right? They can't go. This would be I'm not mistaken, right? This would be if they don't if one of those guys has not become a dude. Be three years in a row, three years that would they wouldn't row. have like a premier pass rusher at defensive end. That'd be bad. That'd be pretty bad. So, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the the chances of that happening. I think like JT could be very good, but not like a double digit sack guy. And then I don't know, I don't know about Jack Sawyer.
2: I'm gonna say this: If you told me right now that both of those guys would be dudes at the same time, I would immediately pick Ohio State to win the national title next year. Right now, like that's all I would need to know about this defense.
1: Yeah.
2: Are you with me on that, or am I? Am I? Gonna, is that gonna be a clip on some message board someday in an hour?
1: No, because you know the offense is going to be good enough. And I do you have two game records, like, yeah, they're, they're, they're one or two game record date difference maker guys away on the defense, I think, from being good enough on that side.
2: It's like, I guess, like the entire podcast, not just at the defensive end position, but like maybe at the end, it's like, who is your like dude candidate? Because like Ohio State didn't have a dude at all last year. And it's like if you if you say JT to him, and Jack Sawyer become who we think at least become 85 percent of what we think they're going to be this year. You obviously have some names like Denzel Burke that you can count on. Like, you know what Denzel Burke is going to be. You know, there's some, you know, guys in the in the secondary that at least have played enough for you know it's not going to be a disaster. You know what I mean? And it's just like if you have somebody or two people up there making – like if you added Chase Young to last year's defense, they would have made the playoff probably, right? Mm-hmm. Is it like that simple?
1: I think a guy like that – yeah. And, and I don't even know if they have to be quite to that level, although <laughs> – it would be great if they would. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think it is. There was just nobody like when, when Ohio State's defense ran out on the field and you were an opposing offense, there was just like nobody who scared you. Include like from coach coaches down on through players. It was like the coaches couldn't pull their heads out of their ass, and there just wasn't like a dynamic player on that side of the ball who demanded your attention on every snap and and you had the tailor your game plan around to just that guy didn't exist and or frankly hasn't existed for two seasons and Ohio State at least in the time that I've been covering them this will be my ninth season coming up I would holy crap I would, man I would say I know I would say I
2: remember I remember the Walmart parking lot like it was yesterday <laughs> but
1: I would say is it really nine this will be the ninth one and I would say for the first seven they had that guy somewhere didn't it wasn't always an end but they, or, uh, they had a guy like that holy and, shit nine years yeah, I'm an old man, dude. I feel like a grandpa now. Got a little gray hair on the temple. It's nice. Yeah, that's because they shut down
2: the Pizza Hut buffet, though. That's right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you 100. percent And it's just like I don't know. It, it boggles my mind that Ohio State could have signed the classes they signed the last three years and not have at least one.
1: They need to have one this year. Well,
2: what what is your what is your feel around the program of like Jack Sawyer? Like, is there is there like expectation of this or are people talking about him i mean like what i don't he's like he's because he didn't have the year i thought he was going to have last
1: year he did not and and when we did talk with larry johnson about jack sawyer he always said like jack's a finesse player jack's a finesse player which is like i don't know i i I suppose makes sense for a guy who came in with his body type now he's like i don't know he's listed at 260 um i don't know what that means bill i don't know either like all i know is what does that mean I
2: i thought that was a basketball term
1: what's that a finesse, finesse Oh, finesse, finesse. Yeah, like uh, not a lot of speed to power, not a lot of bull rush. Like he he gets by on maybe agility more than power. I think is what is what Larry said, and I also think part of that too is is how you hold up in the run game. Like like it's interesting. Like I I think. I think when, like, Zach Harrison was coming in, you probably would have assumed that about him, and it turns out that he was actually kind of, like, kind of better as a power player and better against the run than he is as, as a pass rusher down the down. Um, but what were, Bosa,
2: what were the Bosa brothers?
1: Were they power? They had the, the whole thing, yeah.
2: Because, like, to me, like, when I think about finesse, I think, like, a guy that has great technique and great moves that can get by you. And when I think of power, just like, this guy's not going to touch me no matter what he does. And then when I think about combo, it's just like they can do both, which is probably what makes you a first f- top five pick. But it's just like when I hear finesse, just like what like Jack Sawyer can't blow through the def- offensive tackle and get into the backfield. Is that what he's saying?
1: I I mean I I took that as he's not strong enough yet. Yeah. Okay. So and I don't we'll see. Um, he's bigger. I don't know if that means he's stronger, but he's bigger. Um, so we'll we'll see what that does for him. This year, I think. I think if I had to pick one of the two that I think is more likely to take a leap, I would say it's JT because he's played more. Um, I think his play strength was like kind of already where it needed to be, and and he needs to like work with Larry Johnson on, on the toolbox that Larry always talks about and add some more moves to his repertoire. But but in terms of, of play speed and play strength, I think JT was as farther along than Jack Sawyer was.
2: And who, and who do we think is going to be the Leo Harrison?
1: Yeah. I, I guess so. Like Harrison I think people like Kate Stover for for maybe that kind of role too. I don't I don't know about that. Why don't you explain the Leo
2: thing to people just because I, this is complicated and I know people are listening and I'm not sure what this means.
1: It's a hybrid defensive end linebacker position that is like kind of it's it's like the position in Jim Knowles' defense. It's it's a 4-2-5 defense. Um he plays with three safeties, but but the thing that kind of makes it uniquely his own is the Leo position that is the weak side defensive end, but it can be, it can be a traditional defensive end body type. It can be a, a linebacker body type. Like they had two guys Oklahoma State did last year who played that role, and one was like a six four, close to three hundred pound, more of a defensive end, and the other guy was like a, I think like a six one, two hundred and thirty, two hundred and forty pound guy who went and uh, who ended up having. Um, Double-digit sacks last year, and they move that position around. It's it's the position he uses when he when he talks about playing offense on defense. He like runs plays for that position. He'll put him on the end, stand them up, put him in the a gap, standing up. They'll put him in a stack at middle linebacker, where it looks more like a like a three down front. Um, just uses that position to basically wreck an offensive's game plan whatever their strength is um and it's pretty intriguing and it's a position where where I think you can get a lot of productivity so whoever plays that this year could could be a guy who makes a serious sleep in in production um and it doesn't have to be any one body type like I said so it could be Zach it could be Cade it could be Jack Sawyer it could be um I don't know like Mitchell Melton um really anybody like uh, truthfully like Zach
2: Harrison's of what he is from an athleticism standpoint, seems to be the most appropriate candidate in terms of just raw ability to me.
1: Yeah, I would like to see some snaps of like Zach. Because I actually think – I feel like the snaps that I've seen of Zach Harrison that I like the most are the ones where he gets lined up inside a little bit, um, more so than on the edge. So I wouldn't mind seeing some snaps where Zach, they they put Zach Harrison in, in the A-gap and and let him wreck stuff there. Rather than like putting him on the edge, like lining him in a in a wide alin- lining him up in a wide alignment, and like trying to get him to beat a tackle one on one, he just doesn't win enough out there for for my liking. But I think he can be pretty good on the interior. He's a very different kind of body type, um, and I think a difficult player for guards and centers to handle. Plus, he, and he's got good straight line speed too. So um, I think I, I I would put him at the top of the list of candidates for that position right now. I guess yeah. We'll see when we get to practice on Tuesday. Maybe I'll change my mind. But but in my head, could he ever
2: be a tackle to you, Bill?
1: Well I was gonna say I was gonna say you might be too tall, but like Jordan Davis is six six. So Zach Harrison is six six, two seventy. Um 270 is pretty light. Um I guess that's like that's like what Aaron Donald weighs, I suppose, but Aaron Donald is also built like Aaron Donald was made in the factory. Yeah, you can't you that can't that
2: make was, a comparison to I'm just talking about the, I'm just talking about weight. Yeah, but
1: um Yeah. I don't know. Six six two seventy is like an every down defensive tackle. I don't know if that works, but six six two seventy is kind of like a little bit of a Swiss Army knife guy in the front. I think that can work.
2: Yeah, I just didn't know if there was a a world that lived that exists where Jack Sawyer and JT are the starting ends, and Harrison is part of the rotation in the interior defensive line with Vincent and Cage.
1: I think I think a defensive line where. Um, Sawyer is the strong side end and Harrison is the weak side leo and then your two interior guys are like JT toemolow and whoever Tylic Williams might call like take your pick. I think that could work. Cuz JT is big enough to play inside.
2: I think I'm sensing a theme uh that's going to continue with this in and the theme is we don't know what's going to happen, but they have options. Yeah. No, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. That's the whole thing. It's like, Oh, well this could work. This could work. This could work. We're going to, we're going to theorize all these different things that can work. And like the 11 on the field are going to be the 11. we just going to be the st- yeah, last year. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Tough Borland's going to get back out there.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Um, uh, but, all right. Li- oh, well, there's this ahead. last thing. There's only, uh, they signed three ends in 2022, uh, Caden Curry, Kenyatta Jackson and Omari Abor, but Caden Curry is the only guy, uh who is here for spring ball. And I also think he is a, a Leo candidate as well. Um, very, he is, everyone seems to think he, that he was under recruited and under evaluated by the recruiting services. Um, and like, should have been, I think he was, I think he finished outside the top hundred. And I think a lot of people think he should have been like top 50. So I'm, I'll have my eye on him. I don't, I don't know how much of it. Yeah. I
2: mean, all three of those guys are really good.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh all right, linebacker. You know what I wrote down for linebacker? I wrote down CJ Hicks, CJ Hicks, CJ Hicks, that's all I wrote down.
2: Who's CJ Hicks? <laughs> a young, okay, young man biggest question my is life. is he good enough to be a starter as a freshman? Is that the question?
1: Yeah, it's just that like I I feel like I know what all these other guys are. I would I would like to watch the young five star linebacker.
2: I'm gonna admit something. I remember when we were at the opening together in Dallas and we got pizza at that whatever that place is called Cane, uh, Cane Russo. From the start. yeah kind Cane, Cane Rose of. is it Kane Rosso because I've been calling it Kane Russo uh, I would
1: assume it's of. it's got a, it's got that little accent on the e it's got a little like it's a
2: it's a hero canoe Kane uh, huh? <laughs> Russo and then we went in and I wrote a story I think uh, for the athletic you were still at Cleveland.com at the time Tomante Traenum was there. Yes. And I was like wrote a I think I wrote a call about how like this is the perfect thing for Arizona State to do. Like go into the uh, into the Akron Cleveland area and just like nab all the really good players that Ohio State might not have room for, but are like thinking about. And like then he went to go play running back at ASU and I was like, that's really good recruiting by Herm. Like, congratulations. And like now he's gonna be a starting linebacker at Ohio State. <laughs> it's a guy I don't know. Did he I don't even know? Did he play linebacker last year, or did Ohio State like look at that guy and go, hey, he's like fast athletic and likes to hit we're going to turn him into one like I'm excited to see what that is yeah it's like he
1: he did not play he was
2: like almost on Ohio State's roster right
1: yes yes he he did not play linebacker at Arizona State but he was a, yeah I didn't think so. he was a very good linebacker slash safety at Akron Hoban he actually played he played everywhere but the defensive line at Akron Hoban like even um I remember in the I believe it was a state title game Maybe it was a playoff game, not a title game. His senior year, they played Massillon, and they put Chip Triannum at corner to cover Jaden Ballard uh, for that whole game. So, like, that's the kind of athlete he was in high school. And, yeah, I think Ohio State finished second in his recruitment. And
2: But Ohio State was playing grab-ass in his recruitment, too, weren't they? They didn't, like, go
1: all in, if I remember. I don't think Ohio State was totally sold on the idea of him being a running back, and I think he knew that, and that's where he wanted to play, so he went to Arizona State.
2: Okay. And then now – Ohio State's like we'll still take you at linebacker.
1: Yeah, it's like very. And now he's a starter. It's very similar to Steel Chambers. It's like everyone who recruited Steel Chambers, is like I don't know, running back, linebacker. I guess we'll let you pick, and then the kid picked the school based off where he thought he'd get that shot, and they both wanted to play running back. Um,
2: and now they're both playing the more natural position.
1: Yes, I wonder if because it's a it's a it's a defense that has two linebackers. Um. So, I think like the maybe like the traditional Mike Sam body types that you, you might kind of use to make projections, I think maybe go out the window just a little bit, which is my way of saying, like, I wonder if Steel Chambers and Chip Tranum can play together and if Ohio State's two, two starting linebackers this year are going to be two converted running backs,
2: <laughs> which it kind of help, gives you the hope that, that the position will be defined by speed, athleticism, and aggressiveness for the first time in a long time to me. That's what I see.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm on board with playing athletes there for sure Because um, I think they have been lacking They've been lacking speed at that position So, if st- and, and I think Steel Chambers Steel Chambers played fast um, Wasn't always in the right spot I think needs to get stronger But he played fast And like his speed His speed compared to everybody else who played linebacker last year I think was like very, very
2: And who up. popped? He did I think I think I would rather have a linebacker in the wrong place sometimes that just flies all over the place. Mm-hmm. So it's like tough Borland was always in the right place, but probably three seconds too late. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I know I give him shit. I, I feel bad about that, but like Ohio State's linebacker core was always disciplined enough to be in the right place. Let's put it that way. I mean, those guys knew how to play. They were veterans. They were leaders on the defense, and it was just like wasn't effective to me. Yeah. Maybe more effective than than people thought, but not effective enough. They're like, I'll take your boy, Pete Warner, out of the equation. I know he's very
1: good. He's very good.
2: Ohio State hasn't played linebacker the way that they have traditionally played linebackers in, in quite some years. So um, I'm very excited to see how that plays out. And I guess the, the main question is how is Traja Mitchell handling this? And then, two, uh, is CJ Hicks going to be one of the starters at some point next year or at least work into the rotation? Because, like, it seems like Taraja Mitchell now in this new defensive scheme is, like, out of the picture a little bit to me. I, I it's like, isn't Eichenberg and Cody Simon the next two in?
1: Yeah, I I have a hard time seeing exactly how Taraja might fit in. Uh, but but he also didn't play a ton last year, and he, he stuck it out. Like, he was an important special teams player for them, and he was a captain. And... Maybe maybe he's in a place where he's like grown to appreciate that role and just like wants to be a Buckeye and help Ohio State win games, which is like like I'll I'll tip my hat to him. Um, but when, like, yeah, if I'm if I'm putting together a linebacker depth chart, I'm probably putting four or five guys ahead of him just based on what we've seen so far. Um, he's a he's a throwback. He's like a throwback, bigger kind of Mike, and I just I don't know. I don't know where that fits in this defense. Although they do play Wisconsin, so maybe they'll have some have some stuff where Jim Knowles puts more linebackers on the field. I don't know, um, but yeah, it's that's the two converted running backs: C.J. Hicks, Cody Simon, who I would imagine is not going to be available for spring ball. Would be my guess. Um, Tommy Eichenberg. Mitchell Melton, we'll see what he can become if he can if he can stay healthy. Um, who else? Am I forgetting at that spot? Uh, Gabe. Who did you
2: say? Did you say Gabe Powers? Gabe
1: Powers is here, and then uh, Reed Carrico? Reed Carico, who didn't like didn't play at all last year, and then Kate Stover, who is giving it a go at linebacker. It's I don't know. It's a defense. It's a defense that plays two linebackers, and they had ten scholarship linebackers. And they're short a tight end, and they're moving one of their tight ends. Like the guy who would probably start, if he stayed there, to linebacker. I don't really understand that.
2: Yeah, that's kind of banana land.
1: But, I don't know. Kate Stover plays plays with the juice, I guess. People People like the way that he plays on defense. He gets up and he, and he yells after he makes a tackle, which is like what well, the defense needs a little bit of that. Needs a little bit of. Sw- I'm happy that you
2: didn't uh, make me talk about linebacker first because I would have said Joe Royer in the linebacker room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can G. Scott Jr. play linebacker? Just while we're, uh, while, we're, while we're just taking guys from any position we want to to play to play a key position on the defense.
2: So Landis, I've been uh, getting into this hobby of yours, collecting cards a little bit, just buying singles on eBay, mm-hmm. gonna hold on to them. And what I've kind of done is uh, decided that I'm going to buy cards of players I've written stories about as, like, mementos of the stories. And I bought a G. Scott card on the internet, a signature card, for, like, six bucks. Nice. The other day. I, uh,
1: I I bought a box of cards. At, I might have said this on the show before. I bought a box of cards at Walmart, uh, I don't know, three or weeks ago, a month ago. And I got an Emeka Ibuka autograph. Those are selling for quite a bit. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to it, maybe because I think it'll be good.
2: I don't, but you think the pro set cards have a limited
1: ceiling? So just get rid of it. Yeah, they do have a limited ceiling because there is a lot of them. That's part of the NIL deal now. It's like guys can sign autographs, obviously, um, and
2: that'd be a good story if you, to pursue if I were you. Like, how much do they get paid? Is this going to be a, a wider product? I think that would be fun. I, I'm interested in it. I'm curious in how I- it in-
1: impacts the the card market, which like exploded at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and it's still going pretty strong right now, but there's just, like, in 2020, if you pulled a Justin Herbert autograph, it was like the only way you could get that was after he left college and, like, was signing as a draft pick or, or an NFL rookie. There's says
2: rookie card on these, and it's just like, they are not all rookies. They're just at different stages of
1: their college careers. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, like, it's like, uh, yeah like now college freshmen are signing autographs. <laughs> but I autographs. bought a
2: Quinn Ewers card, a Quinn Ewers card on eBay signed in an Ohio State uniform for 35 bucks. $31 on Saturday. And it's like, I'm going to put that in a sleeve and I'm going to put it in a box in my house and I'm going to sit on it. And it's like, I don't know. Could that card be worth $500 one day? Probably not. It might be worth 200.
1: Yeah. And even if it's not, it's still kind of a cool thing to have. Yeah. And you like, didn't break the bank. And maybe
2: it's just because of my exposure to Ohio state and his recruitment and writing about him. But like how many cards are going to exist on the face of the earth with his signature and him in an Ohio state uniform.
1: Like, him in an Ohio State uniform not a, not probably not that many him with a signature on it like a, mil, a million a million <laughs> yeah no i know but i'm
2: saying like with the Ohio State angle to it it's just like to me the Quinn Ewers in an Ohio State uniform with a signed card and maybe i'm the only person who views it this way is a is a piece of memorabilia that signifies the beginning of the NIL era yes like it's like he is the face of the beginning of the NIL era he signed this card in a uniform that he used to get paid and then left before ever really playing when he played two snaps last year, that's right, and now it's like I have that, and it's just like maybe like the random eBay card buyer doesn't look at it that way, but like to me, that's a really cool thing to own,
1: yeah, I think so it's uh, it, and I think like so you like got the you got the g Scott one on eBay, I'm assuming.
2: I buy everything on eBay. Is there another place to
1: buy it? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, if you're, I mean, you're an Ohio State fan, you're listening to this, and like, if you're into that kind of stuff, I think you can end.
2: Stop. You're going to drive up the prices.
1: Well, I think part of it, part of the autograph experience is like meeting the player and like having a 30 second conversation with them while they're signing whatever they're signing for you. But if you're someone who just wants to like collect autograph memorabilia, um, that's going to be much easier for you to get now. So I think that's kind of cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've seen, I've seen cards on eBay. Um, like they'll just get the prism, the, the regular prism rookie cards. And then, um, they have their signature on the card. Like the person took the unsigned card mm-hmm. with a Sharpie and wrote wrote on it. But those don't seem to sell very well.
1: No. Cause they're hard to authenticate, but, um, as like a keepsake, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Cause, and that's the other thing. It's like those, those events where guys sign are going to be more and more regular too. So, um, the thing I
2: don't understand about the signing stuff is that there are people who wait in a long line for uh, and pay money to get an autograph for, of somebody. And then when they sign that autograph, that's a great moment, like you said, but you can't authenticate it. Yeah, you can. How do you how do they how
1: do they authenticate it? You send it? it away to companies like Beckett or PSA and they'll authenticate it for you? Like I have uh, the, the Phillies have, like, a, a festival every year at the ballpark on one of their off days in the summer where you go and you buy tickets and you get, like, rent. So if you get And I have, like, a Chase Utley autographed card that I got signed in person when I was, like, I don't know, 11 or 12 that I have sitting on my shelf right here. And it's not authenticated yet, but, like, if he goes into the Hall of Fame, I'm going to get it authenticated.
2: what if jeff green signs a card not that that would ever be worth anything anyway but like does
1: it have to be a really good player that's a great question um because like who are the people who are in players mall right now well now it's yeah well now you can go like I'm, i went to a card show in lima a couple months ago and it was like ronnie hickman and Tyreek williams and a couple other guys were there signing. so um now you can get just about anybody, and like CJ Stroud is signing stuff, Chris Olave is signing stuff. So, um, but yeah, if it's like a low, oh, they can uh,
2: they can authenticate the signature based on like hand uh, handwriting,
1: yeah, and comparing it to other signatures. But you're right, if it's like a lower level player who doesn't sign a lot of stuff, and you want to get that, I mean, I guess. But
2: if it's, it's a somewhere. lower level player, then it's irrelevant because you're not making
1: money on those types of signatures anyway. Right, so, right.
2: okay, that's interesting. But you have to send it into PSA, pay nine hundred dollars, and wait a year. No, I
1: don't think it costs quite that. No, no, okay. no I think autograph certification is different, a different process, okay. different different people doing it um people helping people people, i guess helping people yeah that was a nice tangent uh one other question i have about linebacker that i think transitions into safety is where is court williams going to play because i think he's a linebacker who wants to play safety and they've given him a shot at safety but i also like I don't want to see another year where Court Williams doesn't play a lot because he wants to be a safety and there's a little bit of a logjam there when I think he could play a linebacker and be very good. Um, it's like I,
2: The thing I don't understand about it is why move into a position group where the starters are basic, and now they have a transfer who's coming to play, Tanner McAllister. Mm-hmm. It's like he's automatically a starter, right? So well, you have Josh I think Proctor. So. And, I think
1: so. I wanted to get into that, but, but yeah. Maybe not. Am I misunderstanding it? I think it's a safe assumption because he was a three-year starter in Jim Knowles' defense. Yeah, but he like, wasn't like why, and he's a he's a he's a he's an okay player. He was an okay player at Oklahoma State. He wasn't awesome at Oklahoma State. So I like it's on the table for me that they get through spring ball and they get the camp, and it's just like like Cameron Martinez is better than Tanner McAllister, so we're going to play Cameron Martinez um, or Lathan Ransom if he can get healthy enough to play after after injuring his leg in the Rose Bowl, which maybe is unlikely. Um, so I don't know. I think I think his experience matters, and that's why they brought him in here. But from a raw talent standpoint, I'm not so sure. I'm, I don't think it's what a guarantee is, he's the best one.
2: What is? Yeah, no, no. But maybe understanding and experience of the defense.
1: I think that probably you know. that probably matters more this year. Yeah.
2: But is Ransom done for the year? Like, because he has what eight months before he has to be ready? Like, is that like for a broken leg? How long does it take usually?
1: I think it's conceivable he could be ready. He could play next play in the fall. Like he's obviously not going to be part of spring ball. Um, my because
2: uh, if he's healthy, is he a starter? Because I see Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman, Tanner McAllister, and Lathan Ransom as like the room that I would not want to transfer into.
1: Yes, I think that's right. Um, I don't know because. Lathan Ransom and Cameron Martinez are hard for me to figure out because they kept moving from like free safety to cover safety. And it just depends on like what Perry Iliano and Jim Knowles, I guess, think of them positionally. Um, because I could see a world where they, they more view both or one of those guys as a free safety than, than the cover safety position that Tanner McAllister will play and has played for Jim Knowles. Um, so, I don't know. And also, Josh Proctor is, like, coming off of leg injury, too. Like, I, I, I would imagine we'll see Josh Proctor out there running around doing some stuff, but I can't imagine he'll be full go in spring practice. Um, So, like, spring – I remember, too, the, the spring before stuff got shut down, I believe Proctor was hurt then, too. And, like, true freshman, Court Williams, was, like, repping with the ones at free safety on the first spring practice we went to. And I wonder if, like – we might go out there and see court Williams or free safety again, or like, will Kai Stokes be playing free safety. I, I have no idea. Brayson Shaw is still around as well, obviously, but, um, there's some moving parts here and it's a harder position to peg in the spring because of guys who were injured. Totally. Um, but I like, yeah, I, I think like a starting trio of Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman, Tanner McAllister seems okay to me. seems pretty good. I want Sonny styles in there somewhere. Well, Sunny Styles isn't gonna be here till June. I don't care. You want to just show up the spring practice, and put a helmet on? <laughs> no, I, I mean like in the fall. Like I wasn't talking
2: about this. I just like if Sunny Styles is the starter uh, in the fall. Then like just let's wrap this shit up. You know, like, come on. Let's just all five stars all the time. Let's just like let's ride.
1: Take the guy. Take the guy who had a hundred tackles for your defense last year and put him on the bench because it's Sunny Styles' time.
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, what, precisely. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, he, what's wrong? He
1: is a unicorn. So. I'm in favor of playing your unicorns. If
2: C.J. Hicks and Sonny Styles aren't starting next year, then I'm covering Illinois. we We're right. We're <laughs> right. yeah. I, I, Well, I didn't know I was covering Illinois is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, what have you done for me lately, Landis? That's right. That's right.
1: I I hope for Josh Proctor's sake like he can continue on his road to get healthy and stay healthy and like actually play a full season at free safety, which has not happened for him yet. Um, is it too late for him to be like Malik Hooker? I don't think he's going to be Malik Cooker, which is fine, because Billy <laughs> Cooker is uh, yeah. is awesome. Um, yeah. Just like a... Uh, it would be interesting to go back and, like, come up with every
2: single comparison people made of freshmen to former players and, like, actually think about how many of them ever came true. Who? I think yeah. somewhere would be zero in the zero range. Was it, uh... I'm trying to think. Somebody said, uh... There's about nine Orlando Pace references, so you can, we're 0 for 9 already. Was it so. Was it
1: Josh Proctor that, that someone compared to Malik Hooker specifically? Or was that somebody else? Yes! Was it, okay.
2: It was like, that was the whole thing his entire freshman year.
1: That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: He's, he wasn't that, he wasn't, because he came from Oklahoma, he didn't get rated properly because he didn't go to enough camps, he's a freak athlete that is like making everybody go crazy, he's like Malik Hooker.
1: Yeah. He's not going to be Malik Hooker. Yeah, but he can still be very good. Okay. Want to wrap it up with cornerback?
2: Well, what else will we have to do? We're not doing kicker, are we?
1: I've got a, I got a hot 20 on punter. Um, <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> but I'll save we could flip back to the offensive yeah, line if you want. But I'll save it.
2: Uh, Landis is actually starting an offshoot podcast called Offensive Line and Punting. That's <laughs> right.
1: That's right. I should do that, actually. Maybe.
2: Is this just obvious? Is this the, uh, is this obvious or? Yeah, I
1: don't, I don't like, have like a ton of thoughts on corner. I think it's, yeah, it's J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock. Um, I do, I, I wonder in terms of like what they can do. Yeah. In and the spring, like is one or both those guys going to push for a starting job, like starting now? Um, I think, but who
2: would they, who would they hit out, take out? Cam Brown?
1: Yeah. Like I think it's good that Cameron Brown is back. Um, but he's got a little bit of a checkered injury past that I, I I don't I'm not I don't think I'm going to go all in on Cameron Brown even though when he's played he's been good, um, and I do wonder Denzel Burke was very good last year for a true freshman playing as much as he did. Um, I'm a little curious like what his ultimate ceiling is like is he is he capable of getting to that first round level we've seen here before, or. Do JK Johnson and Jordan Hancock have that a little more maybe than he does and
2: I mean he's two years ahead you know, start of the start, to man, because we've seen people go from kind of good the first round draft pick in a year.
1: For so, sure. I think it's yeah. it's on the table for him, absolutely. Um But I don't, like I don't know. I, I guess I'm, it's me falling back on recruiting rankings a little bit more wondering if if those two other guys have a higher ceiling long term.
2: Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson. Like, you close your eyes and you spin the wheel, two out of those four should be really good. Mm-hmm. I, I, But, like, that's the trouble we got in last year, Bill, so I'm trying my best not to, to do that. Where it's just like, well, yeah, I don't know the answer to the question, but they were a top five recruiting class, and these guys are good on paper, so they're going to be fine. Right. It's like, that didn't happen last year. So it's like the spring hopefully will be a good, you know, time for you to get in there and, and look and see if, if people are legitimately flashing or if we're just enamored by their profile stars.
1: Yeah, and this is a, th- uh, a thin-ish position group in the sense that like Denzel Burke and Cameron Brown are really the only ones with any kind of extensive playing experience. Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson really didn't – like they played a little bit, not much. Legic Cavazos played a little bit, not much. And those are your five returning guys. Um, and then you have Jair Brown and Ryan Turner, who are early enrolled true freshmen who've obviously never played before. So you only have seven, which is uh, fewer than I think they want just on the roster. Um, and then of those seven, only five have ever played, and of those five, only two have ever played significantly. So um, it's an important it's an important spring for this position in terms of just like development. But I don't know in terms of like interesting. I don't know. I think it, I think it ranks. Near the bottom of all the individual position groups. Yeah, for in terms of like storylines and stuff. Um, all right, I think that that wraps it up. That gets us through the entire defense. Do you want to uh, talk for thirty five minutes? Have any basketball spring team?
2: questions about melted cheese or
1: melted cheese? No, I'm I'm for it. I'm in favor of it. <laughs> I'm for it. I like it.
2: Okay, like yeah. It. If you want to, I'm gonna just close my eyes for a minute. You can just. Did Michigan uh, push Ohio State's offense <laughs> around in basketball? Uh, I mean, we're what? What we're a week away from what? Six days away from Selection Sunday. So, like, we're like, I, I don't know anything about this stuff. So, yeah.
1: So, like, uh, regular season ended, ended on Sunday. Um, they lost to Michigan. Bad loss. It was the one good. Like I guess they've had two good home environments this year. Was when they played Duke, and it was on Sunday when they played Michigan, and that, that was honestly one of the better environments I've, I think I've seen at the shot in a few. Are you years, digging at me right team. now? No, no, no. I don't mean it like the shot's awesome. People need to know it. the shot sucks, but that was that was a good environment. Um, and they wasted it because they can't guard anybody. Uh, the basketball team has a very similar issue to the football team, and it's that uh, defense is apparently optional. Um, no matter how good you are some nights offensively and what your ceiling is on that side of the wall, your defense will be your undoing, and that is the case with this basketball team. So uh, they opened Big Ten tournament play, thursday night against either penn state or minnesota i would imagine they win that game and then if they do they have to play purdue um and that's a tough matchup because purdue is very good offensively and ohio state is very bad defensively although purdue is pretty bad defensively too so um maybe they could win that game they're not on the bubble they're well in the tournament and the NCAA tournament um probably like a six or seven seed right now with a chance to play its way up just a tad i think seven is probably the floor um and I'm going to write more about this later in the week for those of you listening who are interested in basketball, just like their defensive struggles are are going on two years now and, and Ohio state should be better on that end of the floor. It should be prioritized more than it has been. Um, and for the second year in a row, I think it's going to be the thing that that keeps them from advancing in a way that they should, which is a problem. So, um, I guess feel free to make me eat these words. If Ohio state gets to the sweet 16, despite having a terrible defense, but, uh, historically teams that defend the way the Ohio state defense did not advance, um, on the first weekend so um they have that going against them and and it's a bit of a shame because they have two very good players in EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham who might not get the uh the platform that that I think could be really entertaining for them in March because uh the team can't guard anybody so um yeah they're in a weird spot they're in a weird spot and and they need a I guess we can maybe talk about it more after the fact after the season's over whenever it ends but um I think a lot of people came in thinking that Ohio State needed to take a step forward this year, and I'm skeptical of that happening based off the way the team has played down the stretch. They lost three of their last four, and they're just a really bad defensive team. So, um, we'll see, we'll see. But if I, I would, I, I, I don't, I don't think anyone who's not getting their hopes up about Ohio State basketball uh, is in the wrong because there's not real, there's not a whole lot of reasons to be hopeful of, of a advancement beyond the first weekend of the NCAA tournament based on the way the team's played down the stretch here. So I don't know. Was that uh was that negative enough?
2: What are you saying that I was hoping it'd be negative?
1: No, I just feel like I yeah, I don't know.
2: I'm not I'm not I, I don't want to pretty negative I don't want to try to you paint. Basically to say they're not gonna make the Sweet Sixteen no matter what. So
1: I yeah, I don't want to paint a rosier picture of what reality is. And the reality is they are not built like a team that gets to the Sweet Sixteen.
2: I mean how how significant is a Sweet sixteen birth anyway for a program? It's like, do you feel like Ohio State makes a Sweet Sixteen this year somehow, and all of a sudden, like they're back? Like it just no. And that I don't know if it, yeah, it, I've been away from the game so long, but it's just like okay, I, so they're the fifteenth best team in America. Great, like what?
1: Yeah, I think I think on, in in some respects, it's a excuse me, it's symbolic a, it, probably. It's a bit overrated because the tournament success is so random. Um, but I do think when you're five years into a new coaching tenure. It's the easiest thing to like grab a hold of as 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 far as markers of progress go. Um, there are other things like they finished tied for fourth in the Big Ten, which is their highest finish since Chris Holman's first year when they finished second and the league sucked. Um, they won twelve Big Ten games. You know they've they've had good non conference wins, um, but in college basketball, you're judged by what you do in March. It's just that's just how it is, um, and they've not been very good in March under Chris Holman. Uh, I think they're nine and thirteen in March under Chris Holtman. Um, the la- last year they lost their last four regular season games. This year they lost three of their last four. Now they went on a run in the Big Ten tournament that I think had people feeling good, and then they lost, uh, they got upset in a fifteen-two game to or- against Oral Roberts. So, um, I think they could go on a run in Indy. Um, I think they could get out of the first weekend but I'm not going to pick them to do that because they don't have the profile of a, of a team that does that. So, um, I don't know. I, I think this was, and they've had some injury issues, like justice Sewing would be starting. And he hasn't played all year. Seth towns would be a key rotation player. He hasn't played all year. Kyle young is currently out in concussion protocol. Didn't play the last two games. Um, so like they have that working against them and, 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 and I think that's important, but, um, you also want to see a team play its best basketball in March and, I don't know that that's happened with this team the last two years. So,
2: yeah, and like a lot of it too is like matchups, right? So, I mean, you know, you never know who
1: they're going to play or what their path is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a shame because
2: I thought they were really good this year for some reason.
1: They had they 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 appeared to, well. The thing the thing that's funny is like they were I think they were picked to finish fourth in the Big Ten and they finished fourth in the Big Ten. So it's like <laughs> they met they met expectations relative to like the preseason media poll, which maybe doesn't matter to most fans. Um, but they like, weren't, they weren't a team that anybody expected to contend for a big 10 title this year. And going into the last week, they were in contention and then they kind of crapped their pants, um, which is like a, an opportunity to let go to waste because they lost to Maryland and Nebraska, which are two bad losses. But, um, in terms of like expectations for this individual team, I'm, I'm not so sure they were far off. Um, but the fact that they've let it get to this point where they're so bad defensively that it's going to be their undoing most likely is uh, a little bit of a misstep in roster building I think for Chris Holman and I asked him that after the game on, against Michigan like did you guys prioritize defense enough when you were built this roster and he said no so I mean, I guess like he's owning it but owning it doesn't do much to change the reality of the situation now that they're in tournament, tournament time and, and seemingly in a bad place on, on that end of the floor so um We'll see. I'll be in Indy uh, for the Big Ten tournament. Uh, Best
2: breakfast buffet in tournament basketball. That's right.
1: And I'll be. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going wherever they go for the NCAA tournament. Although if they're going to San Diego or Portland, we'll see about that. Um, maybe they'll go to Fort Worth, meaning you can hang out, buddy. You can stay right here. Casa de Wasser. How far do you looking for? yeah, in Fort yeah.
2: Worth? forty minutes. Thirty-five minutes. That's not too bad.
1: I bet that. I bet I can hit a Whataburger on the way. It
2: depends. It depends on uh, on what time you're driving there. If we're being honest, uh, but no, it's not so bad.
1: Yeah, we'll see where they uh, where they go for the NCAA tournament. I've I've seen in the last few days. I've seen Indianapolis. I've seen Pittsburgh. I've seen Portland. I've seen San Diego. It's like kind of all over the map. Um, but it would be nice if they could go to Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, or Buffalo because those are closer and easier trips for me. So, yeah. Um. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Spring practice, uh, I don't know when you're listening to this spring practice, starts Tuesday morning. Um, I'll be there watching a little bit of practice, talk to Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, and Kevin Wilson afterward. I'll have a story on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash 4-6 about like just kind of what I saw and heard on the first day of spring practice if you want to check that out. Uh, and then there's no spring practice next week because it's spring break. And like I said, I'll be traveling for the NCAA tournament, but I think maybe we'll try to squeeze in another episode like early next week, um, cool. Before that happens, so thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys then. <laughs>